this is the Pod Goblins Hat, a podcast about the Moomins. This is episode two, which is about a journey through a dark forest, a search for a lost father, and indigestion powder. I'm Nina, a person who carries all kinds of useful things in her bag. And I'm Dave, a person who has never seen a mermaid's bum before. And we're reading all the way through Tuve Janssen's Moomin's books together. It's the first time for me. Whereas if I wrote my memoirs, the Moomins would be featured pretty regularly. We're starting by reading the storybooks for children in order of publication, and eventually we will cover all of Tuve Janssen's Moomin stories. Today we're reading The Moomins and the Great Flood, which is probably going to be one of the only ones that's new to you, right? Yes. So this one is the first one to have been published. It was written between 1939 and 1945, and there is a note in the beginning of the book which Tuve wrote when it was re-released in like 1991 about where it came in her life and the war and the need for something light, like a fairy tale. She had difficulty finding a publisher for it. She said nobody cared about her. Silly little creatures are silly little trolls. But eventually, someone did publish it. She calls it a fairy tale, with tastes of Jules Verne and Carlo Collodi. I didn't know anything about Collodi, and I looked that up. Collodi wrote Pinocchio. And crucially, for what we're talking about today, created the Blue Fairy. He was Italian during the Italian Wars of Independence. He started off as a satirist, like Tuve did. It's also a flood myth origin story, which I think is an interesting place to start. It sort of feels a bit like Noah and the Ark, or Patan's Pumpkin, or like various Hindu and Chinese creation myths it's a creation story it is it's a sort of end of the world start of a new world yeah it is but it's also a quest it's also like a hero's journey type thing although it's not quite clear who the hero is which is (laughs) how i like my hero's journeys to be it's moomin mama i think so yeah i think that's probably right So the story starts with Moomin Mama and her child Moomin Troll walking through a dark and scary forest. Everything looks worse in the dark. There are scary eyes, there are very strange flowers, very beautiful strange flowers, and they're looking for Moomin Papa and they're looking for somewhere to live. 
they encounter various monsters and they also very early on meet a little creature who just seems to tag along as soon as they find him. The little creature's main characteristics seem to be greed and cowardice, (laughs) which makes him very relatable. And so Moomin Mama's then travelling through this sort of like apocalyptic landscape with two children and suddenly she picks up a third because a beautiful blue flower opens and a girl with shiny blue hair comes out and she's called Tulipa, presumably because she comes out of a tulip. It is a flower, but it's also a light. Yes. Like, and then she comes out of it. So it's it's like, it's multiple things. Yeah, and then her hair is sort of, it's not exactly on fire, but she can't get it wet or it'll get extinguished. So her hair is also a light, a blue light. And she has a desire for an interest in flowers in general, not just the one that she pops out of. She tags along as well. So now Moomin Mama has three children, seemingly only one of which she has birthed, but, you know, she's sort of gathered them to her like a mother hen, and they're clucking along, and everybody's quite worried and sad. They stop for a campfire and, you know, presumably some food and some sleep, and the story about what happened to Moomin Papa comes out, which seems to be he got a desire for a journey and left with some small creatures called the Hattie Fatners. It sounds like he left them. It does sound like that. I think he kind of did, maybe. But it is also like a kind of potted version of his personality in some ways. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's an interesting question of like, is he, I, I think you're going to feel like he's sinister, right? In a way, like, or bad. I do. At this stage in the book, I did. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I've changed my mind later on. But at this point, I'm like, so he just left you guys. He just went. <laughs> um, everybody starts crying at this stage because it's so sad. And then somebody tells them off for crying. And it turns out there is a little man who's been watching them from a high window and complains that they've been making a noise and lowers down a rope ladder for them all to go up. And it's easiest for Tulipa to go up because she's got like long legs, but Moomin's got little short legs. Takes them a while to get up. It's one of my favourite pictures from the story. Yeah, it's a really good picture. And so then they go into, is it inside a mountain? I think it is. Yeah, I think so. The old man's world. He's built an artificial world which is very reminiscent of like the chocolate room in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, but that hasn't come out yet. Yeah, so maybe the Chocolate Factory was reminiscent of this. Yeah. It's also quite reminiscent, this whole section of The Wizard of Oz. And Jules Verne, I think, is this is a very big kind of Jules Verne moment. When they go with this man, who turns out to be not as sinister as many sort of strange men who tell you to climb up a ladder. And come into their land of sweets might be. Exactly. That's the thing. It, it also is very reminiscent of Hansel and Gretel, I guess. Yeah. Uh, it's like a twist on that. So the children go into this situation with like all of the abandon that you would expect that they do. They get tummy aches because apparently Moomins get tummy aches really easily. But that's okay because Moomin Mama one of the many things she carries in her handbag is indigestion powders, so she dispenses these. Everybody has a little sleep. They think about staying there forever, but then they realise that the sun in the old man's sweet world is just kind of made out of crinkly paper, and it's not a real sun. And that sort of makes it unappealing. And they still haven't found Moomin Papa, 
or a place they want to live forever. So they ask the old man how to leave. He says, yeah, just get on this roller coaster. (laughs) (laughs) So they'll get on the roller coaster. They get out of the mountain. They arrive at a beach. They meet the antlion, who... What is he trying to do? Is he trying to bury Moomin Mama in the sand? Pull her down into the hole in the sand, I think. I actually looked up antlions. They're real. Not in the way that Tuve imagines them. <laughs> They're not lions. They are larvae that dig holes to catch ants. So they do. They eat ants, okay. not Moomins. But Moomins are small. But right? Moomins are small. And this is a point that they keep coming back to, is when the children state that they're frightened, Moomin Mama reminds them that they're so small that probably nobody will bother with them. So there is a hasty rescue from the antlion by the children. Everybody catches their breath. And then the Hattie Fatners appear with a very convenient boat. I don't understand why they're seen as so bad. It sounds like they just go around and that, Sounds okay. I think it's fear of the other, right? They don't say anything. No one knows why they do the things they do. You can't ask them. You can't chat to them. I guess in a way it's like neurotypical people's like fear of different kinds of uh, b- yeah, brain functions. that is the vibe I was getting. <laughs> there definitely is that. I mean, I don't think they're bad at all. Well, they seem to be feared, though. Well, there's reasons to fear them. In episode one, we said we weren't going to worry about spoilers. We're not, but we are trying to give Nina the most authentic experience of exposure to the movements as possible. And so for Nina and for those of you that don't know, I will not reveal why the Hattie Fatness are a little bit dangerous. Moomin Mama is so excited to see them because supposedly they're the ones that went off with Moomin Papa that she tries to communicate with them. Have you seen Moomin Papa? She says this and then she realises they've not got ears, so they probably can't hear me. And then she draws a picture of an adult-sized Moomin troll in the sand and is like, have you seen him? And they're like, well completely ignore her get into the boat um and (laughs) and she goes right children let's all get into the boat quickly because then we'll get somewhere i guess (laughs) this is the way this book goes it's very like this and then that and then why not this it doesn't seem like moomin mama and the children particularly know where they're going or why no but they're journeying on it's vibes based journeying it's kind of yeah. like what feels right at the moment, which is a very Moomin thing, and particularly Moomin Mama. She's also very responsible with it, yeah. though. Like, it's not a kind of reckless, you know, oh, I just do what I like and I don't consider other people. She actually considers other people, I think, to a fault. Her thing is everyone should do what they want to do. Like, not just her, but the other people. Yeah. But also, if you're going to do what you want to do, you should do it well and organisedly and make sure you have everything that you're going to need to do it. And there's a parental responsibility element to it in that she is an adult and the other three characters are children. So when they're in the the sweets world, Moomin Mama just drinks a glass of milk and and sunbathes and lets the kids eat whatever they want as much as they like. Yeah, I like that actually. And then just gives them the indigestion powder. Yeah, she's not trying to control their desires or even their, like, you could call it overeating. I wouldn't. I would just say, you know, like, put any child in a situation like that and they're going to eat more than maybe their tummy can handle. And they were hungry as well, right? Yeah, well, and that's kind of fine. 
Yeah, absolutely. And like those experiences of gorging yourself and then feeling a bit ill actually are very important to learning what feels like too much. That is true. I remember my mum did that with us once on holiday. She just bought us all the things she always refused to buy us and just spread them out across the table of the jeets that we were renting. And she and the other grown-ups, I think, went to have a drink outside and just told us and all the other kids, like, pig out, just, like, have at it. <laughs> I think we did all get sick, but it was very exciting and very cool. And I think probably better than her constantly telling us no. Yeah. Whatever you want, Moomin Mama is there to facilitate it. She's also okay with you, like, experiencing your own consequences to a safe degree, though. Yeah, absolutely. She's not going to stop you before you get sick. She's going to let you get a bit sick and then give you the powder. That's right. So they're in the sea. They go to sea with the Hattie Fatners. In the sea, they encounter a couple of mermaids. The other kinds of creatures they encounter in the sea, which I was super surprised at, a new part of Moomin lore suddenly revealed itself to me in that they meet some sea trolls. And the sea troll hops on to captain the ship. That's right. And the sea trolls know how to deal with the sea. They enjoy it. (laughs) This is their place. And they're a bit confused by why everybody else wants to get out of the storm, which comes up. The little creature is being sick over the side of the boat. That's right. It's really rough. The sea trolls look nothing like Moomin trolls or like non-Moomin trolls. (laughs) But they still suggest that they might be related. And Moomin Troll, because he's very well brought up, goes, that would be nice, even though he thinks uh, clearly Moomin Trolls is a superior form of troll. So the sea trolls help them to escape from the storm, and then they get to shore. So they arrive on this kind of tropical place. It suddenly feels like we've shifted in terms of like climate areas. We've gone from like a forest to somewhere that has palm trees, and it's really hot. And there's a tower there that they go uh, to investigate where they meet a new character called The Boy. Uh, The Boy has cool hair, red hair, I think, isn't it? Yes. And as I put in my notes, this is like the Hair Appreciation Society. (laughs) Tulipa and The Boy bond over their mutually excellent admiration for each other's hair. The Boy also talks about lots of different kinds of people from all over the world that he has met. And at this point, we get a little teaser for some of the characters we will see later in the Moomin books, because he mentions snuffkins, plural. There's sea ghosts. There's one of my favourite names for a creature in the book, Little Creeps. (laughs) There is big folk who I guess might be humans. Maybe. There's snorks. And there's hemulins, and we'll see them again. There's one in this book. So we get a sense of the wider Moomin bestiary. Most importantly to Moomin Mama, he's seen a Moomin troll go past. Oh, of course, yes. The crucial plot point is that a Moomin troll has been passed. We can assume Moomin Papa. That's definitely what Moomin Mama assumes. Yeah, no, she's right out of there like a shot. She's so quick to get out of that door. She wants to go. She's not even saying goodbye. Like, no question. <laughs> We're out of here. We're going. Tulipa says, maybe I want to stay with this boy. Mimi Mama's like, great, great. Have fun. We're going. <laughs> so that's what I mean. Like, she's a very good kind of mum. That might have been harder for her if Moomin Troll had said that, though. That's probably true. She's just met Tulipa. Although everybody is Moomin Mama's child in some ways. So there's the obvious kind of heteronormative way of, 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 of thinking of like mothers are the mothers of the world. Mm. 
But there's also chosen family, I think, that is very, very much a part of the yeah. Moomin world. Uh, that is a much more kind of egalitarian idea than sort of this idea of eternal yeah. motherhood, which I can't deny there's a little bit of that in Moomin Mama. But let's continue with the synopsis. They feel really floppy because they're so hot. There's a red light in the sky and even these like hot climate plants are drooping. So that tells you that this weather isn't just unnatural to the Moomins. Yeah, there's definitely some weird weather going on and that becomes rain. And that rain has happened to Noah yeah. uh, and the ark. The rain rains for a long time and it builds up and a flood happens. It's not just the Moomins who are affected by this flood. Everybody's getting affected by the flood. They meet a cat and some kittens who are floating on a old basket weaved kind of chair becomes more and more difficult for them to get about yeah so they start using the armchair as well as a kind of boat the little creature thinks they see something shiny and expensive (laughs) Uh, the little creature is very into gems and jewels they think they see a jewel and it is in fact a bottle and so their desire like of shiny things magpinus that is rewarded. Yeah. They see something shiny. It isn't the shiny thing they wanted, but it is the answer to the question of where is Moomin Papa? Do you want to read it out? Dear Finder, please do what you can to rescue me. My beautiful house has been swept away by the flood, and now I am sitting lonely, hungry and cold in a tree while the water rises higher and higher. An unhappy Moomin <laughs> is how it's signed up. How even say up. who he is. <laughs> no. But anyway, it's clear to Moomin Mama that this is Moomin Papa. How could it be anyone else? And so suddenly we're on a rescue mission. It's been previously said that Moomin Papa left them. He did. But he did leave them not just to go adventuring with the Hattie Fatanas, but also he did have the intention to make them a new house. And it says that he's made a house. And he has achieved that. And it is not designed just for him. I mean, there is some backstory we didn't mention about that, like that they have previously always lived behind stoves and now they're moving out from the stoves and they're having to find new house. So they've been displaced by central heating. Yes, that's right. Modernity has taken the Moomins from their houses, our houses, and out into their own houses, potentially. So they've given the boat that they were sailing on, this chair, back to its owner, which was a Hemulin. And so they haven't really got any way to get around. But they meet a stork, a marabou stork, yeah. who is quite scolding and like annoyed and ups- like upset about stuff. And that is because he does not have his glasses. Yeah. He calls Moomin Troll an impudent child and they kind of go away from this angry stalk. But they then see something which the little creature thinks is going to be a diamond, <laughs> but is in fact the glasses, the spectacles of the stalk. Yeah. Moomin Troll is sent off to return the spectacles, which is rewarded by the stalk helping them to find Moomin Papa. There's a great bit where Moomin Troll flies on the back of this stork. It's a bit Hobbit and the Eagles, this bit. Yes, Hobbit and the Eagles, or like the never-ending story. Yeah, but the Hobbit's already out and the never-ending story isn't yet, I think. That is definitely true. I mean, in fact, Tuve did illustrate a version of The Hobbit, so... Yeah, she probably read it. The stork helps them to find Moomin Papa. He's sitting on a branch... As he said in his letter. With like a little white flag of defeat. 
SOS, it says. Yeah. And he's up in a, up in a tree. One of the nice details from this as well is that the, the stork gets really into yeah. saving people <laughs> and goes off and saves everybody else and like makes it his mission to save everybody. Yeah, he's like, actually, this is quite fun. I quite, it's quite satisfying. Yeah. <laughs> and Moomin Papa now tells them all about the house he built for them and how it's big and there's room for everyone, including the little creature. And it did get swept away, but it's sort of landed in a valley, which looks quite nice. And there's like a whole like sepia-toned, beautiful illustration of the Moomin house in the Moomin Valley with the pear tree and the sun shining down. There in the valley, they spent the whole of their lives, apart from a few times when they left it and travelled for a change. And that's her first happily ever after. And in the future books, we will we will see how happy that ever after is or is not. <laughs> and it's kind of like heaven as well, isn't it? That that last yeah. picture. I mean, there's a kind of biblical kind of element to the floods and all of that sort of thing yeah it's also there in the hero's journey isn't it like you always end up in the place that you want to be and everything is relatively happy after you've learnt your lessons and slayed your dragons although notably there has been no slaying there's certainly no like slaying of, of anything there has been no overcoming of the adversary there has only been avoiding them and getting around them because Moomins seem to be prey more than they are predator. I really enjoyed it, actually. I really enjoyed my first experience of this story. It's not fully formed as the Moomins, not just no. in literal kind of illustrative terms, because the Moomins don't quite look like the Moomins we'll know later, but also in the sort of style of the book. This is very much like the earliest stories I, I made as a child, I think. Mm. You know, this thing happens, 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 end yeah. of the story. <laughs> That's the style. There's no kind of like inventiveness or deeper world or any of those things. But that makes sense in a way because it's mostly being a fairy story. And where it's not being a fairy story, it's trying to be a kind of Jules Verne thing. And I looked that up and there's a series of, of uh, books about some children trying to find Captain Grant, their father, which she refers to in the introduction. Yeah. And there's a message in a bottle from him in that as well. The first of those books is called In Search of Castaways, but they're, they're collected together into three volumes called A Voyage Around the World. So that's one of the references that she's thinking about. The source material that she based it on sounds pretty colonialist. Yeah. It's all sorts of terrible things. Oh, yeah. Jules Verne is. Yes. Jules Verne and people writing about the area we call colonially Australia. It's worth kind of noting, because I'm sure colonialism will be something that we'll come back to occasionally. Yeah. To be fair to Finland, they didn't do much invading of, of Africa or, or any of the kind of places that Jules Verne wrote about. That said, there was kind of internal colonialism of the Sami people within Finland. So, mm. and, you know, Sweden came in and Russia, like there's lots of different groups claiming Finland and stuff 
Tuve Jansson herself was Swedish-speaking, which was not the original language of Finland. And a lot of the books that she was inspired by, 1800s, it ain't a great time for Western literature because it's just full of colonialism, imperialism, racism. Yeah. I want to go straight into the taxonomy of the Moomins. So I went in thinking, is Moomin a family name, like a surname, or is it a species? It seems to be a subtype of troll, like this world has lots of different kinds of trolls in, and then Moomin is a kind of troll. But in that case, Moomin troll is just called his species. It's like a cat called cat. Indeed. Okay. There is a translation error when Moomin Mama is drawing her partner in the sand for the Hattie Fatners, that word Moomin Troll is capitalised, which is otherwise only capitalised when it's the name of her son. I think that needs to be lowercase. That would suggest that it's a species. It's hard to say because I don't know if the Moomins are conceptualised in this kind of way that we're trying to conceptualise them. Yeah. Like the ways that categories work seem quite fluid and like unboundaried, non-binary, whatever we want to say. Mm-hmm. Things sort of shift about. I even think characters shift about. So the character of Tulipa is very much like a character that we will meet later called the Snort Maiden. There are other kind of characters when we get to Comet Moominland that are also maybe early versions, like first draft versions of what will later be rewritten or like redefined. Yeah, they're not finished. They don't look like the Moomins of the later books either. They're thinner and they've got more of a nose than a snout and they've got a mouth underneath it rather than as part of the like front face apparatus. I was trying to work out how big they are. So the marabou stork has a wingspan of three metres. I'll take your word for it. They're one of the like biggest birds in sub-Saharan Africa. That's a big bird, but it couldn't carry a human person. But it can seemingly easily carry a moomin troll. And they keep reminding each other how small they are. And they lived behind stoves. So there may be like a small toddler size, do you think? I think that's not defined. I feel like at different times, they're almost different sizes. Yeah. They interact with bigger people, human beings sometimes. I mean, they interact with a human being-like character in this, right? Do you think the old man is a human? I don't know. He's he's drawn quite human-like. That's true. But he still might be a small creature. We'll get more information as things go on, but it won't necessarily illuminate. It will, in (laughs) fact, often do the opposite of that. Another thing about this book in the terms of it being like an unfinished thing, when you look through it, the pictures in it are much more like something from a scrapbook or something. Like the different kinds of paper that they've been drawn on, you can sort of see, and it's almost like photographs Mm. of pictures rather than pictures that are integrated into the text. And I think, like she says that she wrote this during the winter of the war, and that's why she wrote a fairy story. You can really see that in the pictures that she's in a war because they're very dark. They're much bleaker. There's a lot of like inks that Mm. run and, and like smudges and the kind of thing that doesn't happen in the other books. The pictures especially have a real 
apocalyptic feel, especially the landscapes. They're made of darkness. The light is the bits that sort of stand out. Most of her pictures, you've got outlines on a white background, whereas this is like white lines on a black background. And I think that that is the mindset she was in, the way that the world felt at that time is really like represented in that. Should we talk a bit about like the sort of climate catastrophe apocalypse feel to this then? Yeah. We didn't mention this at the end of the synopsis, but they end up in kind of, it looks like a refugee camp. That's right. Yeah. Which, it's a beautiful picture where like the only spots of light are the campfires of the refugees. And then you can sort of see these figures huddled around these campfires on the side of a river with the shadows cast behind them. That's quite a bleak image. Absolutely. And that's probably one that's coming for us, Yep. climate-wise. Probably this was about the war for her. Wars are often in some ways related to climate, and certainly they can be experienced as like an external event that happens to you. Yeah. It's the fear of what is coming, and that's what a war is, and that's what climate change is. Uh, it's the fear of what's coming or kind of what's here. Yeah. <laughs> One thing I want to say about Mumi Mama and her handbag, which we've referenced a few times already, for me, that is an aspirational goal. I want my handbag to be like Mumi Mama's handbag. And this last year, I think I've achieved it, basically achieved it. Like there was a, a long time at the beginning of having my handbag where I always didn't have things I wanted. But as each thing like comes up, I note, I then get it. I've got it all in my bag. Unlike Moomin Mama, I am not organised, and so I need lots of versions, so that like lots of hairbands because I will lose them everywhere. I need lots of lighters because I will lose them everywhere. But over this last summer, I've really enjoyed being the person where people are like, I "Haven't got sun cream. I haven't got this thing. I haven't got that thing," and I'll be like, "Oh, it's here in my bag." <laughs> Does your handbag look anything like Moomin Mama's handbag? It's not as big, and I think that's a problem. Mm, You need to size up. It's breaking my bag because it's got too much stuff in it. I need to get a a new bag. Then you will signal externally to the people around you that you are the person with all the stuff they need, and you'll step more into your moomin maminess. I've often been described as a mother figure uh, within creative projects. I worry about everybody and try to make sure everyone's having a good time. I overly prepare. So there is quite a lot of Moomin Mama in me, which I didn't realise. There's quite a lot of the little creature in me as well, I have come to realise. While we're talking about the little creature, actually, one of the things that's interesting about him is he has he slash it pronouns, because at some points... he is re- referred to as it. Yes. Uh, at other points, it was he. Um, I know of some people who prefer the pronouns it and its. Yes. Um, so that is a perfectly valid decision. I'm not sure the little creature is making any decisions about the pronouns, though. They're being put on it. No, I think it's more about how he's perceived. Right. I mean, so he's introduced as one of the things in the dark, as a right. scary pair of eyes looking right. out at Moomin Troll. And Moomin Troll's frightened. And then he's sort of brought in into the gang. Perhaps Tuve hadn't decided whether he was going to be a recurring character yet. Right. And so perhaps she didn't give him a name or too much of an identity. She hasn't given very many people names in this. And I don't. Does Tulipa come back later? I feel like probably not. I don't 
believe so she's kind of blue fairy like as we've mentioned the blue fairy so she's a specific reference yeah but the blue fairy hasn't got a name the blue fairy is just called the blue fairy that's true and her love interest doesn't get a name he's just called the boy so yeah there's quite a lot of nudity in the pictures in this book there are two depicted bums which have bum cheeks that's true there's two bums there's one pair of breasts yes There's also the constant nudity of the trolls, but as Tuve says, they mostly don't wear clothes unless it's pyjamas. Yeah. And they've got a body shape, which makes their bums less suggestive to humans, I feel. They're almost like soft toys. The crucial thing is one of the pieces of nudity, which is why we're talking about this so much, is a mermaid's bum. Yes. She's got a tail. Yeah. And like the bum goes under the water. So the implication is kind of like the bum is there, but the fish's tail comes after it. It's very confusing. Yeah. <laughs> and I think we both were confused, right? Yeah. This is not a typical depiction of where the split in the mermaid happens between the fish body and the woman body. Yeah. I wonder if Tuve just wanted to draw bums because it seems like. There's no other reason to do that. There. I think that's right. That's that's that is my interpretation of it. I do feel that. Also, the drawing of Tulipa getting out of her clothes to have a little bathe is very sexy for a children's book. It is. I don't mean that it's inappropriate for a child to look at. It's not inappropriate it's not. for a child to look at. The nudity is absolutely appropriate for a child and tasteful and whatever. But maybe also gay. Yeah, maybe it represents A little bit of spook. Yes. And I don't know whether we're reading that into it because we know that Tuve was a lesbian. But then the thing is as well, it's the war as well. Like, I think if she's trying to think of the nice things to distract herself, (laughs) then sexuality is one of those things. Sure. But also, like, the way we're talking about it, I should say it's not at all pornographic. And it's also not full frontal nudity. She's sort of turning away tiptoeing into the water yeah it's suggestive i still find it interesting to find that in this story yeah and surprising me too i mean there's less bums in the rest of the blooming books i feel i was wondering i don't feel like this theme continues no so this is translated by david mcduff who hasn't done any of the other moomin books and it was translated in 2012 into english and there is no prior english translation yeah it describes it as a rediscovered gem right so this book was not released as a kid's book so much as a as a curiosity for fans of the moomins yeah one of the reasons why there's that difference in the pictures is because there's watercolors they're sepia watercolors yeah she doesn't do, she doesn't do much does she do any watercolors no later? it's all ink drawings yeah whereas this has watercolors and ink drawings so that's yeah. part of it she's finding her style in in many ways she's working out what this world is like yeah. i feel like maybe the journey that Mumu mama goes on with the children is the journey that tuve is going on so like at the end when we have the picture of Mumu valley that's where she is going to be now like that's yeah. the world of the Moomins that she has travelled to. I don't know if we mentioned this, but interestingly, the Moomin house that Moomin Papa builds is in the shape of a stove, which yes. is to remind them of the stoves that yeah. they came from. And I didn't know that. But it does look like that in the other books. She just doesn't mention it. Yeah, it does. I just don't yeah. know what a stove looks like. Uh, yeah, I can see 
why this wasn't the first one they translated. It does feel rougher, um, more experimental. I'm not saying that a child wouldn't enjoy it, but an adult who likes the Moomins would probably enjoy it more, and that's who this edition is aimed at. Most definitely. I think that's right. It's presented as a kind of historical document. There's much more like Tuve around it rather than the Moomins around it. It looks like it went out of print in Scandinavia as well, because the letter she writes at the beginning is... So she wrote this in 1991 when they brought it back into print. So it came out in 45. They bring it back in 91. I think there's a few decades of obscurity in the middle. So many famous children's writers in the UK cite the Moomins as a big inspiration. Yeah. Like you got like Frank Cottrell Boyce, I think Michael Rosen, Terry Pratchett was a fan. Yeah. Not just children's writers, Jeanette Winterson is a fan yes. for, for more lesbian reasons probably. But it is that kind of, there is a historical document about this book. I think there's only one edition available in English. Which speaks to its probably less popularity compared yeah. to the other books. And, and when you look online for like, which movement books to read, no one says this first. No one says that one. <laughs> Even though this is literally chronologically the first one. You probably love it more if you already love the movements and you want to see where it all started. Absolutely. As that... It still is nice. It's sort of nice to see somebody's ideas unfolding still and some things in flux still. It's a cool book if you're interested in the process. It's a cool book if you've ever wondered what Tuve's art looks like when it's not just pen and ink drawings. Right. Like it's got like the watercolours are really nice. Right. And it's not what you're used to if you just do like a Google search of like moving pictures at all. I really, really enjoyed it. And it does start some of the themes as well of the Moomins very much, I think. And it's interesting, like in re reference to the kind of the colonialist influences on, on Tuve's writing, what she seems to have taken from those kind of texts is just exciting, interesting places and cool new creatures and cool new plants. But it's quite nice to me that even though some of her influences are maybe stuff that I wouldn't like, that she takes the nicest things from them, that that's the kind of world that she wants to have is one of adventure and new things and exciting things and not threatening weird. Maybe the Hattie Fatners are that, though. Yeah, well, that's what I thought. Is it? This is a bit xenophobic. Maybe. And so we can read that in. We can find that criticism within them. But a child won't experience them that way. No. And I don't think that that was what Tuve was really trying to get at, that they were, like, bad, but more that they were strange. Yeah. Which is probably inspired by colonial thinking, but it is not as literal as that. Another theme or image that comes up loads in this book is the idea of something looking like one thing but actually being another, with the jewels and the diamonds being bottles and glasses, a flower that is actually a lamp, that is actually a house, and then we have like a sun that is actually a light. Yeah. This idea of like what you see with your eyes is not actually what is. And I think that is something that comes probably from queerness and just comes from like being interested in the other, the weird that I think Tuve had. So I think there's some good things and some bad things in the mix. What she's been inspired by, you know. Well, I think that's fine though. I think it's fine to be inspired by anything. Yeah, I mean, I really liked Tolkien growing up and he is hella racist. Yes, he is. Hella. Imperialist. Colonialist, imperialist, 
misogynistic name it you name it it's it's in those books and it's still okay to be inspired by lord of the rings So this is going to be a sort of advice column section on the show. We're going to do it every week. We're going to take a question from a listener or a question that we've fished out of the ether of the internet. Yes. And we're going to address it, not as ourselves, but through the character of Snufkin, who is Dave's favourite and who we haven't met yet in this book. We have not met him. (laughs) We've heard about Snufkins. So we're going to try and interpret these queries and problems through the lens of what would Snufkin do. For our first season, this segment will absolutely be not from listeners because we're recording it in a batch. But if you're hearing this, you're very, very welcome to send a question in. Please do, because we'll use it in the next season. We'll also retweet it. We'll love it. We'll enjoy it. But so far, we've had questions (laughs) provided by boyfriends and partners of the show. (laughs) The taxonomy of our (laughs) intimate relationship. (laughs) Anyway, this is from boyfriend of the show, ALGP, and he says, Things keep stealing my time, and I can't manage to do the things I want to do. What would Snufkin do? I think, first of all, he would agree that things do keep stealing your time. Yeah. He, he would absolutely see things as potential time stealers. In terms of not being able to manage to do what you want to do, that would be a little bit of a confusing element for him, I think, because, you know, he just does what he wants to do. And so he would sort of advise your boyfriend to do what he wants to do and to ignore the things that are trying to steal the time, to treat them like park keepers or policemen as enemies, to be outsmarted, (laughs) outwitted. He would... Also question the idea of maybe, like, what does stealing even mean? Mm. Does ownership mean anything in that regard? Which isn't to say he isn't, like many of us, a hypocrite. I think he would object to someone taking his mouth organ or his hat, even if he does not particularly like possessions. I think that's what he would do. What do you, I mean, what's your view? I mean, you don't, you haven't met, officially met the character yet. No, I haven't. But you have read books with him in, so... So far, I've read the first half of Comet in Moominland, so I have met him a little bit. Yeah, I think this is a question that would puzzle Snufkin, but what I've seen him do in Moomin Valley in November is allow other people into his way of life, even when it's not what would come naturally to them, and even when it cramps Snufkin's style. That's right. So what you might do, ALGP, is you might go sailing and you might sleep in a tent and you might brew the coffee by the stream and take your time drinking it with a Snufkin who would allow you to be there and then maybe Snufkin would understand you more and you might understand Snufkin more because I guess the point of this section is that if we, the question askers, understood Snufkin more, we might have more peace with our questions. Yeah, that's right. I mean, and I think another thing he might do is play you a, a tune. Yeah. And just let you think about what the tune makes you think about. Yeah. 
and then see if that helps. He might tell you a story about one of his escapades that may or may not have something useful in it. It's up to you to work that out. But so I guess our prescription is music, stories and sailing. Two more segments that we want to do mm-hmm. are about looking at what other texts or pieces of work are out there that have the same spirit as the Moomin books. Um, and also we want to look at what podcasts are out there that have the same spirit as this podcast. Do you want to go first, Nina, with your spirit of the Moomins? So as we were saying, the beginning of this Moomin journey in this first book seems to be spurred on by industrialization and in particular the advent of central heating and so they've had to move out from behind the stoves. So going off of that theme I'm going to recommend Dragon Rider by Cornelia Funke which is a children's fantasy book by a German author. And the event that precipitates the action in Dragon Rider is that the dragons in Germany are being pushed out of their natural environments by urbanisation and by, you know, the forests and the valleys that they live in getting, like, concreted over. It's another quest journey. It's, you know, like, another trying to find the chosen land journey, another fantasy journey from another European woman. A very good fit. What's your spirit of the Moomins? recommendation so i really wanted to recommend a computer game for this one because it is a journey and and many computer games are journeys Mm -hmm. i've actually got two they're both indie games one of them is called journey where you are a strange creature that is going on a journey and you learn what that journey is as you go through it and it's kind of got a real moomin likeness to the art of it and it's quite kind of intuitive it's quite a short game to go through the journey so you can do it in an evening has it got any combat it has no combat great there are some other creatures that you interact with but there's no combat no fighting as such and i think that kind of works for pretty much any age group actually that game the other game i wanted to recommend was whatever happened to edith Finch. It's a walking sim, so you're walking around a kind of strange house where your strange family lived, trying to work out what happened to them, who they are. You're like searching for answers to where your family members have gone. It's more of a darker game than Journey. It's more gothic stories, darker than the Moomins, definitely, more adult than the Moomins, definitely. But it's about a strange and weird dysfunctional family and like you working out what they're all about which again i think are very thematically appropriate for the moomins <laughs> shall we move on to spirit of the pod goblins hat so for spirit of the pod goblins hat we're going to take it in turns to give a recommendation and for this first one the person getting to do that is nina so my recommendation is a podcast that is coming out at the moment it's called tolkien black girls i enjoy that pun (laughs) it's from the black nerds create collective they're very good and they're going through the work of tolkien from a black and nerdy perspective 
it's sort of examining his work through a series of themes. So there's a really good episode out about race in Tolkien. And there's another really good one about the use of maps and geography in Tolkien. And it's coming from both a very loving place and a very critical place. And that's sort of how I like my literary criticism these days. It's also very funny. And I listen to it even though I don't like Tolkien. That definitely sounds like what I'm going to enjoy. Uh, I'm looking forward to listening to that. I think you would really like it, yeah. I love Tolkien. I also love Tolkien to be heavily criticised. Yes. That's the thing. Like One of the reasons that we're shouting out other podcasts that are doing the kind of thing that we're doing is because what we want this show to be and what those shows are is the enjoyment of going through a series of art pieces and looking at it with a critical eye amongst friends. And that is what we're trying to do with this show. So because of that, we want to shout out other people doing similar things. And lucky for us, there are a lot. So that's all for episode two of the Pod Goblins Hat. But before we go, here are the tiny cliffhangers for next week's episode. Will the little creature get a name? What does it mean for a star to have a tail? Will someone wear the woolly trousers? So until next week when we're reading the first half of Comet in Moominland, look out for messages in bottles and other kinds of signs. Bye! Bye!